Love to hear the sun, sun tones. It's great to be back here with you and a great time of worship today. I, I thanked Elvin earlier because uh, that, that uh, anthem that they sang a while ago is my favorite of all in the world. And uh, just uh, the majesty and wonder of your name, just uh, my favorite. I sit over and cry every time they sing it. And uh, it's just uh, Great is Thy Faithfulness, my favorite hymn. So it's, a, it's been a neat thing. It's good to be here. I'm, I'm interested in the time here. Uh, it's 10 minutes till 12, and I cannot help but remember when I first came here, uh, I, I went into a deacon's meeting. I was in here in view of a call. I went into a deacon's meeting, and here with all these deacons, uh, man, there were deacons there that were pillars in this church that had been deacons in this church longer than I had been alive at that time. And I was scared to death. I thought they were going to ask me no matter what kind of question, what kind of theological question they are going to ask me or something like that. And Sonny Helm, that's a name some of you will remember, Sonny Helm, one of those great pillars for many, many years here in this church, said, well, I want to know if you're going to let us out in time to beat the Methodists to Luby's. That's what he asked. <laughs> I said, I'll try to get you out by 12. But I'll tell you the truth, I'm not going to promise you that today. I don't know exactly when you're supposed to be through, but I'm supposed to quit on the hour, so I figure I've got all the way to 1 o'clock. Is that right? Uh, it's good. It's good to be here, and I appreciate so much the privilege of being back. And I cannot, I cannot tell uh, Mark how much I appreciate you inviting me back, and the committee, the powers that be. What a great weekend it's been, and just a thrill to me to be back, see so many of you. I've, I've been able to renew acquaintance. I, I'm feeling a little bit old because uh, I see all these, uh, these youngsters that were like this when I was here, and I used to hug their neck when they went out the, the door, and goodness, now they're all grown up, they got kids of their own, and it's making me realize just how old I am, and it's really, really good to be back. For those of you who do not know me, uh, it's been 16 years since I was here as pastor, 16 years. Uh, we're on the third pastor since me, at that, since I was here at this time, but I was here a long time, and the truth is, if, if a pastor has an opus, uh, this was my opus. I was here almost 17 years uh, as pastor and had a wonderful, wonderful experience as pastor. It's good to be back, and I want to thank everyone. By the way, it's kind of neat to see uh, my own students, this one and that one, my own students that are leading out in this church. So that's pretty amazing myself. So uh, it's just, it's great to be here, and I appreciate the privilege. Saw some friends that, that uh, hadn't seen in years and it's good to see them and just be with all of you. So I, uh, I just want to express that appreciation to you. Um, Friday night, we talked about the past. Friday night, uh, we shared some of the experiences that we had when I was pastor here. And we know how great this church has been through the years, the powerful institution it's been. It's, uh, it's for years, it's been the, the, the most powerful Baptist uh, entity west of the Pecos. And uh, it's just, just uh, great to be able to celebrate that. Friday, uh, Saturday, Saturday afternoon about 4 o'clock. <clears throat> and it's just not everybody that goes to church Saturday afternoon at 4 o'clock. But we had that service, and we talked about this is your day. This is your time. And I would say that, I would, I would say that again to you today. This is your time. You know, we can, we can say how great it was in the past. We can say, I don't know what it's going to be like in the future. But the point is, this is your time. And this morning, I want to talk to you about the future, the footprints that you will leave here in the future. 
We do not know what the future brings. And uh, it's very important for us to understand just what ties in to the future and, and how we will affect the future. I want to talk to you today about vision and mission and the importance of vision and mission because I believe, as it's been defined by vision and mission, that vision and mission are like headlights into the darkness of the future. We don't know. We don't know what the future holds, but we know who holds the future, and we want to go forward go doing exactly what He wants us to do, making this church be exactly what, what God wants it, wants it to be in every sense. I was uh, raised in a little, little town out close to Odessa there, and we had, our senior year, we had three of us that were tri-captains on the football team. And the two guys that were captains with me on the football team, uh, one of them was a young man who came from a very poor family. Back in those days, we'd say he came from the other side of the tracks, came from a very poor family, a very fine young Christian man and, and a good man, but came from a very poor family. The other, the other one was uh, really well off. His dad owned a, a well-servicing company and was very successful in those oil field days. And uh, as we went through life, it was very interesting to see what happened with these two men. This young man who was, come from, came from that poor background, that young man was driven to make something worthwhile out of himself. And believe me, he went on to make something worthwhile of himself. He was driven the whole time to make something out of himself. And believe me, he went on, among other things, today he owns a bank in Austin. And he's doing really well with his life and everything else. He was driven to make something out of himself. The other one, well, he was born sort of with the silver spoon in his mouth. Everything was his way. When his dad died at an early age, the company was turned over to him, and he uh, just sort of drifted along and drifted through time and uh, went along and ended up losing the company. He went through a fortune and lost the company. Not only one fortune, he married the girl that, whose, whose uh, father owned the biggest ranch in the area, and that ranch had a lot of oil on it. And not only did he go through that fortune from his own family, he went through the fortune of, of his wife's family as well, just sort of drifted along, let things happen as they're going to happen, and he lost it all. Two fortunes in a lifetime, he lost it all. I think that's true for people. It's important that we be driven, and if we're going to do something with our lives, we need to, we need to have that drive that makes something out of our lives. But there are a lot of people who sort of drift along, and as they drift along, everything slips away. This happens with churches, too. Churches that are driven, churches that know who they are and know where they're going and know how they're going to get there, those churches are driven, and they become great churches, making a tremendous impact upon the world. Those churches that sort of drift along, resting on the laurels of bygone days, that sort of drifting along, coming to church, carrying on the ability, not driven to really do anything important, they tend to fall, and folks across this state, 
they're closing their doors by the hundreds. It's true with churches too. And vision is often catching the vision of God, following the mission that God gives to us. That's often the, the very thing that helps us drive the headlights into the darkness of the future. In the Bible, there are a couple of stories. I, I, I was going to turn and read those to you, but there's, there's quite a bit. It would take most of the book of Exodus for me to read the one story. I just want to tell you if it's all right. Uh, in the 25th chapter of Exodus, Moses went up on the mountain, you remember, and the cloud of God's presence came down on that mountain. You remember what I'm talking about? He went up by himself to talk to God, and God gave him a vision for what the tabernacle was to be like. The tabernacle was to be the place of worship where those folks would go and they would worship. And they would take that tabernacle everywhere they went. It was the forerunner of the temple. And God gave him the vision of what it was going to be. And he said, the 25th chapter, the 26th chapter, the, the 29th chapter, the 32nd chapter, the 39th chapter, all of those times he says, you make that tabernacle exactly like the vision I showed you on the mountain. Make it exactly like the vision I showed you on the mountain. And in the 40th chapter, it said Moses looked around and he saw that they had done everything just as the Lord had told him to do. And the cloud of God's presence filled the tabernacle. The cloud of God's presence was so powerful filling that tabernacle that Moses himself could not even get inside there because the cloud of God's presence was so full. He inhabited that tabernacle. And he said, this will be the place that I inhabit. It was God's vision. And when Moses came down with that, with that plan, it's, it's amazing. When Moses came down with that plan and told the people, God wants us to build a tabernacle, the people started, they just said, okay. And they started giving, and they gave, and they gave, and they gave. You know the story, right? They gave, and they gave, until finally the foreman of the building project said, tell them to stop giving us. We got too much stuff. That's how I know they weren't Baptists, y'all. <laughs> Tell them to stop giving. They've given too much stuff, and they had to stop giving because, because the same God that dreamed his dream in, in Moses' heart was the same God who dreamed his dream in the heart of the people. That's what happens when a church catches, vision, catches the fire of a vision. Nehemiah heard about, you know, he's off in captivity, and he heard about, he heard about, uh, the walls of Jerusalem had been torn down and been stayed down forever. That was the way they protected themselves in those days was with the, with the wall. They didn't have planes and airplanes and missiles and bombs. They, they protected themselves with a wall, and the wall was torn down. He, got real, he felt real bad about, badly about it, uh, uh, Nehemiah did. He sat down and wept and prayed and cried and fasted for weeks, and then he went and asked the king if he could go rebuild that wall. He went back. You remember the story, right? He went back. When he went back, he, he didn't tell anybody what he was doing. And that night he went out and sort of reconnoitered the whole place, the whole wall, and what was down and what was not. When he got back, he said, I had not yet told him, listen to me, what God had put in my heart to do. I had not told him what God had put in my heart to do. And, uh, and so he told him that uh, he wanted to rebuild the wall. The king, had, the king had said, okay. God had blessed him in his effort up to this point, and the people said, let's get to work and build it. And they started the work. That's exactly what the Scripture said. Let's get to work and build it, and they started the work. Same verse, same verse. 
they started the work. The same God who put it in Nehemiah's heart put it in the hearts of the people, and, and they began to build that wall. They built that wall, and there's a verse in, in chapter 4 that says they built it, and, and it raised to half its height because the people had a mind to work. The people were involved. And if you read chapter 3 of Nehemiah, it lists all those people and all the different people that were involved, the priests, the leaders, the, the common people, the goldsmiths, the, the ironsmiths, everybody was working to rebuild that wall. And then they finally got that wall built, chapter 6, verse 15. Verse 15 it says they rebuilt the wall, uh, and, and they had completely rebuilt that wall in 52 days. Listen to me, 52 days they rebuilt that wall. All the people working together, and this was a big wall. This was, this was broad enough. Uh, the choirs, they had two choirs. One went one way, the other went the other way. And they walked on top of that wall when they went around. That was a big wall. And they rebuilt that wall in 52 days. Think about that. 52 days. How long have they been working on this freeway out here? <laughs> it seems to me they've been working on this freeway forever. And we got all of this equipment that they didn't have back in those days. But they got it done because it was God's plan. They were following God's plan. God was blessing them, and they were working hard at it, all of them. They were driven to get that wall done. And they got that wall done. It's an amazing thing. Now, we don't know what is going to happen in the future. But we know that God can give a vision. God has a vision for this church. Let me tell you something about God. God's got something He wants to do in this town. I don't know what it may be. And by the way, the vision you find has got to be your vision for now. Visions we had back when I was here and before that, that, they're gone. It's time for a new vision, the vision of what God wants your church to be right now. But let me tell you something about God. God's going to do His work. And if we will cooperate with Him, we'll have the blessing that He'll work through us to do His work. But if we will not cooperate with God and do what God wants us to do, folks, folks, God will find somebody who will. And we as a congregation will miss the blessing. Well, not we. I'm not a part of this congregation anymore. You as a congregation. Preacher's never supposed to say you. You know that. You, you are going to miss the blessing of working with God as he, does, as he does this. And so I want to talk to you, if I may, about vision for just a few moments. I want to I want to just share with you some, some words. You may want to jot some of these words down, and I'm aware of the time. I'll try to get through it. By the way, uh, I had a coach's wife come up and tell me today that, that, that after watching me preach the early service, she was going to name me a coach because I walked the sidelines. I walked up and down as I did that. She actually said that to me, uh, Don Brooks. You, you know who I'm talking about. Anyway, anyway, the first word that I would give to you is a vision is powerful. Vision is powerful. I'm a Vietnam veteran, and I remember when we started raising money to build a wall. I can hardly talk about this without getting emotions, emotional, so I hope you understand. I remember when we started raising money to build a wall, and I remember how it caught our imagination. Now, I know we, Vietnam is a long-lost war. We've had other wars since then. And, uh, it's uh, in many ways forgotten, and maybe it should be. But my point is the fact that we were going to put on the wall the names 
of our comrades who had died, some of them right at our side, some of them right at our feet, that their names would be on that wall meant so much to us that myself, along with a lot of other people and some people in this congregation as well, worked hard. We gave our nickels and dimes to see that wall built. And that wall is, to, to us at least, and to many people, when they go to Washington, D.C., that's one of the things they don't want to miss seeing is that wall. And I go to the panels where, that were there when I was there, and I cannot help but weep as I stand there. And, and but my point is this, before it really happened, it happened in somebody's heart. Somebody came up with the vision that we'd have a wall. And the rest of us bought into it. We gave our nickels and dimes. And today we've got that wall. You see, all things are created twice. They're created first in somebody's heart, in somebody's mind. And then they're created reality. When the Wright brothers flew, for instance, don't you know in their hearts and their minds they had flown many times in their hearts and their minds before that day when they actually did fly and how much that has changed life, our life today and, and forever. All things are created twice. So visions are just incredibly, incredibly powerful. The second thing I want to say is the vision that you have for a church must come from God. It must be a God-given vision. Uh, Terry Fulham, who's, a, who's an Episcopal priest who, who does a lot of work in this area for the churches, Terry Fulham says, it is God dreaming His dream in the hearts of His people. It must be a dream that comes from God. It doesn't work if we manufacture it. It doesn't work if we try to come up with, with the dream ourselves. I've been reading a book by Leslie Weatherhead. He was a pastor of the City Temple Church in London back in, uh, well, this book, he was writing this book in 1940, and the book was published in 1941. And he's talking about, talking about how uh, the world happens and everything else. And he said, we had visions of how great the world was going to become, and look what's happened to our visions. He said, we did the wrong thing. He said, we, we, we dreamed our dream, and we set up our programs, and then we asked God to bless our program. He said, that was wrong. That's not the right thing to do. He said, what we should have done was, God, what is your vision? And catching God's vision, then carry it out in the world and the difference it would have made. I'll tell you, that can happen with churches too. It's not up to us to make up our program and then ask God to bless it. It's up to us to find God's vision for the future for First Baptist Church of El Paso and then to carry that vision out best you can. And that's really, really important. Now, the vision needs to be pictorial. It needs to be a, a picture. We need, need to be able to, to see it. You ever been in a building? You ever been in a church where they built a building? Any of you? If you've, been, if you've been here for a while, you have. If any of you have been in a church where they built a building, well, if you did, what do they do? They put a picture of that building on the wall, and, 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 and they say, you know, this is what we're aiming for. Let's everyone, let's everyone try to, to, to give our money and give our effort and whatever to get that building accomplished. That's what we do. A vision needs to be pictorial. It needs to be something that catches our imagination. I told you what the vision was back when I was here on Friday night, you know, it was a vision of lighthouse, a lighthouse that would shine the light of the gospel, the message of Jesus Christ, all the way out 
on the east side all the way to Horizon City, in the northeast all the way to Chaparral, and in the west all the way to, to Canutillo. And the day came, folks, when we had not just members from those, church, those towns, we had active deacons from each one of those places that day actually came. And we caught the vision. You know, here I, here, I, here I was, you know, here we are in the middle of the desert, and we use a lighthouse for a vision, and, but the people caught the picture. They put pictures on the walls. Uh, the pastor said he's even seen some of those old pictures, you know. Somebody gave my wife a, a, a jacket that had uh, a, a lighthouses all over it, you know. That, it was pictorial. It was pictorial. I worked in one church where it was just, you know, back in 19... Uh, 95, they're running about, about 500 in church. When I walked in the doors, because I went to, it was a troubled church, I went to try to help a troubled church. They had 80 people there, 80. They'd gone down so much, everybody left. And it was like a funeral. Every Sunday was like a funeral. All they could do is talk about how, oh, I wish so-and-so hadn't left, I wish they'd come back, and all of that sort of thing. They keep talking about how they wish they'd come back. Uh, and we searched around to try to find a vision that would catch people's heart. And one of the guys came up with this idea. That out, out in the courtyard there, there were two live oaks. And years ago, there had been um, a freeze. And one of those live oaks had split open in the freeze. You know what a freeze will do to a live oak. One of those live oaks had split open. And some of the men in the church came and spent a day there, and they put a band around that split oak, and they... they they bound it back together as best they could. Then they drove stakes through it to hold it together. Then they trimmed back the limbs uh, mercilessly so that the, the, the roots would be able to take care of the trees. And, and, and today, that oak tree is twice as big as the other oak tree there. And you can't even see the band has been covered, you know, the, the stakes. You can't even see them anymore. And they said, they said, you know, this needs to be the picture of who we were. We may be split but God's going to put us back together. Uh, God's going to bind us together. And they came up with a statement, uh, you, you know, uh, uh, seated in faith, bound together by God's love. They, been, they began to put oak tree pictures all up around. If you go to that church today, they used, up, up in front, they used to have banners hanging on both sides of the baptistry, banners. What they've got up there today is they've got pictures of oak trees, you know, to remind them seated in faith, bound together by God's love. This, this is what grabs people's hearts, the vision. And then the mission, what is the mission? Well, the mission is to put, put, the, 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 put the vision into workable words. How do we put this vision, how do we tie this vision together so that it means something? How do we put it into workable words? And what they did is, uh, bound together by God's love, we will sow seeds of love. Bound together by God's love, we will sow seeds of love. And that became their mission. And they're, going, they're thriving today. Uh, one of Mark's good friends is pastor there. They're thriving today and doing well. And they're going to do well in the future. They, they follow this. They've got it. Now, I want to I talk briefly to you about what a vision should be. Number one, it needs to be pointed. It needs to be pointed. What you don't need is a blunt thing. Think arrowhead. Think something that can pierce the darkness of the future. It's got to be pointed. There's got to be a point. It answers the question, what is the point? Kenan Callahan in, in his book on, on uh, outstanding congregations says, the outstanding congregations all are led by an excellent mission, an excellent mission. 
pointed together, pointed to pierce the darkness. You know, you don't need something that's blunt. You don't need something that, well, we're going to do this and this and this and this. It needs to be pointed. At the same time, it needs to be like an umbrella. Think with me, like an umbrella. It needs to be a vision that is broad enough that people can dream their dreams and their visions under that umbrella to fit the same thing. And I think, I think we, can, we can, you know, you can find that pointed yet an umbrella. Next, it needs to be, it needs to be uh, unique. What is, you know, it doesn't make any difference what God is doing with other churches. If you're a member of First Baptist Church El Paso, it should not make any difference to you what God is doing in other churches. What you're concerned about is what does God want to do with First Baptist Church El Paso? What does God want to do with our church? What is God's vision for our church? And that needs to be unique. And then it needs to be simple and straightforward. A simple statement. Uh, most, pl- most places, they, they, they have a, a vision. You ask them what the vision, what the mission is. They can't tell you. They say it's on the bulletin every Sunday morning, but I can't tell you what it is. You know why? Because it's got about four or five things. We're going to try to do these four or five things, you know, and, and they miss the point. Well, uh, they, they really miss the point. They don't have the point. That's the idea. They don't have the point that pierces into the future, and, and, and so it needs to be simple and straightforward. Then, once you put that together, by the way, it needs to come from God. It needs to come from the pastor, just like, just like uh, God gave it to Moses, just like God gave it to Nehemiah. But it also needs to come from the people, just like God gave it to the people, and they gave so much that, that they, they, they had to tell them to stop giving. Or they worked at that wall, and they got that wall built in 52 days. It's got to be something that is, is, is born in our hearts and it's born of God in our hearts. Because without God, you can't make it happen. It's just that simple. And then it becomes a guide. And the best ex- example, I gave this Friday night, I hope you'll forgive me. The best example I know of the guide is, uh, is when the quilters came to me. They said, well, we're going to have quilters. And we're going to get together and our ladies go make quilts. Well, I said, that sounds nice. How's that going to fit the mission of our church? The mission of our church at that time was we will minister to the city of El Paso in the name of Jesus Christ. That was our mission. We will minister to the city of El Paso in the name of Jesus Christ. And and I said, how's that going to fit the mission of our church? And they said, we're going to make quilts for the women's shelter. And they made quilts for the women's shelter, beautiful quilts. And one little square down the end said, dedicated with love, donated with love by First Baptist Church until every bed in the women's shelter had one of our quilts on it. You see, it's the guide. And then your leaders become the guard, guardians. The leader's the one that asks you, well, how does that fit? I mean, when you put together your calendar, how does that fit? When you put together your budget, how does that fit? How does that fit your mission? How does all of this work together? When we have a meeting of any kind, how does it fit our mission? How, do, how are we fulfilling our mission by doing this all, all the way? And then finally, it brings a great it brings a great unity to your people. I'm sure you don't know this, but you know what Baptist churches are like? One person is going that way, another 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 person is going that way, and somebody's going this way. You know what I mean? Everybody's doing their own thing, you know. What happens when you get a, a vision and a mission together? Everybody starts going the same direction. It's a unifying thing. We are unified. This is who we are. 
this is what we're about to do. This is, we're trying to cooperate with God to be what God wants us to be. And we're working together. We work on it. Peter Steinke, Lutheran pastor who brought some of these ideas into the, into the church, Peter said, Peter said, you know, uh, the church is called a body 39 times in the New Testament. 39 times called a body. It's a body of Christ. And he says, a virus in order to get, I, I'm, not a, I'm not a medical person. I'm just telling you what Peter Steinke said. Uh, a virus in order to get into a body needs a host cell. And he said, if you've got everybody going together, the best immune system against the virus is everybody working together for the mission, everybody working together for the vision. So we talk about the future. We talk about the future. And the question is, is we talk, and I'm running out of time, and I'm, I'm already out of time. Give me a break here. I'm about to get through. We talk about the future, you know. Okay, will we be what God wants us to be? Not God bless our program. God, give us your program and let us be what you want us to be. Because I'm going to tell you what, if this church will be what God wants it to be, the future is bright, bright, bright. That much you can know. Now, this is not your normal sermon for Sunday morning. I know that. I haven't talked to individuals. I've really talked to the congregation. But I do know that just as in the early service, there may be somebody here who needs to make a decision for Christ. And so we're going we're gonna to stand right now. We're going to sing, have an invitation.